This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Rain had the biggest say in the third round of the County Championship, although there was time for Hampshire to blow away Northampton to go top of Division 1. And there was a week to remember for Gloucestershire's Tom Price, who scored 100 and took a hat trick on the same day. Australian opener Marcus Harris will join us after he was named in Australia's squad for the World Test Championship final and the first two Ashes tests. And he had uh, a bird's eye view of uh, Tom Price's performance. We'll be talking to, uh, to him about that as well. We'll also be joined by Middlesex batter Mark Stoneman after they secured their first win of the season in dramatic fashion at Lords. And we'll look back at a very successful week for both of England's openers. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. Well, Harmy, there's no other place to start than Hampshire. They've uh, really cunningly assembled uh, unerringly accurate fast bowling trio or even quartet that is unlikely to get uh, any international call-ups, which is a very, very good way to start. And boy, oh boy, did they uh, put North Ants to the sword. Bowled out for 63 um, in the second innings to win by a massive innings and 270 runs. It was set up, of course, by James Vince and Nick Gubbins' hundreds. But that was the Hampshire that I think many people were expecting to see. Yeah, it was a hammering, wasn't it? Um, I was at Newcastle against Tottenham all the weekend and my head was spinning after 20 minutes, just grabbing five goals in a short space of time. But And that, was, that wasn't even a... I wouldn't even say Newcastle-Tottenham was a hammering. It was, it was a completely annihilation. And it looks as though the Hampshire game against Wolverhampton was exactly the same. If you get runs on the board, you've always got a chance with the bone attack that I'm sure I've got a bass and Kyle Abbott. Anything in the surface, anything in the, in the sort of atmosphere, they've got bowl that they've got bowlers to exploit it. So that's why they've always been up there. That's why they've been around the top of Division One cricket for a couple of years now. It was more their bowling than their batting. But when you had Cubbins and Vince, you've got a handy we could keep a batter and, and Penn Brown. We've just got a lot of bases covered. So because of that, um, if they get runs on the board, they will always take wickets. A little bit like Essex. If Essex will get runs, their bowling attack's fantastic. In first-class cricket, they will get wickets. So, yeah, there was no surprise that Hampshire was going to beat Northampton. It was just possibly in the manner and the fashion that Northampton capitulated in the, in the sort of fourth in or third innings, um, which was a real surprise getting bowled out for under 70. James Fuller coming in for Keith Barker, taking six for 37. Now, Barker didn't fracture one finger on one hand when he was batting last week against Surrey. He fractured two fingers on different hands, and he's out for a month. Fancy that. He's he's had two fingers broken, one on each hand. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It is. It's, I'm, I'm not sure I've never seen it. I've heard it. Tim Morton tells a brilliant story as the night watchman. Tim Morton from Warwickshire. Tells a fantastic story on the night watchman against a, a very young, fast Darren Goff when he bowled him a bounce and he hits him on the left arm and he was like big, you know, macho, I'm all right, I'm night watchman, I'll show you I'm all right. And then Goffy bowled him a bouncer, which hit him on the 
on the right arm. And Tim Munson comes to the game the next morning and both in plaster. So, you know, he's broken both arms. So, yeah, that reminds me a little bit of months when it was was that. And But, yeah, these things happen, unfortunately. It's a big loss for uh, Hampshire, even though they've, you know, they've won by an innings and 270 runs. Keith Parker's been a fantastic servant to Hampshire over the course of the last two years. Um, and re- one of the reasons why they've been at the top of the tree up there around the sort of top of the table is because of the all-round qualities of Barker. So that's a big loss for them. All right, let's move on to Kent against Essex. Zach Crawley is obviously um, one of our more high-profile listeners because clearly he, he he was listening to the Cricket Collective when you said that he needs to bat time. And uh, he did. He batted lots of time. Um, he didn't look like he was in a hurry, but his 170 still came at the best part of a runner ball. Uh, you, you know, just terrific stuff. I mean, the other thing is that Kent's bowling attack looks like it is a little short. In I mean, they've hired Wes Agar, the Australian quick, who hasn't played Test cricket for Australia. I'm not so sure that he's quite the answer, but um, he may have been surprised at how much heavy lifting was expected of him when he had a look around. Connor McCurr is another way. He's been on loan to just about everybody from Surrey. I don't even know if he's still a Surrey player, but he's not made the progress that a lot of people were expecting. No, he hasn't. And yes, Agar will, I think, realise that unless there's some assistance in the surface, he could bowl a little of overs ahead of the Ashes. He might be flogged before the Ashes gets here. So the one thing about Agar, he will get a good bowl before the Ashes squad gets here. And if he does get a call up, if there's an injury, then he'll definitely not be underdone. And I mean that in every sort of best possible way. It does look as though the Ken Bowling lineup are are a short of a of a, another good seamer, either a quick bowler or you know the skill levels is not as probably as high as what was on show on the other side because the Essex bowling attack is a a potent, you know, been very very good for long periods of time, but it must have been a flat one and taken nothing away from Zach because Zach Zach must have batted brilliantly. He, some of the shots I've seen him play, he looked better balanced. He looked as though yeah, you know, his stride into the ball, his hands through the ball was. A lot more controlled rather than uh, you know, in, in international cricket where he seems to be, everything seems to be in fast forward. His movements weren't in fast forward in this game. And it's great to see. It really is. You know, Zach Crawley gets a bit of stick because he, he's not being dropped. That's not Zach's fault. That's not Zach's fault. The selectors have picked Zach Crawley to play, I think sometimes cruelly, because it, it must be, you know, weighing heavily on his shoulders. Some of the you know, dismissals he's had and the, the games he's played in. But the best thing he can have going into any series is form. And he's now got a couple of decent scores under his belt and time in the middle. That's the thing for me. I said it a couple of weeks ago. If Zach Crowley spends time in the middle, he will score runs because that's what the boy does. He's a big scorer and big shot player. So to bat the length of time he did, over 180 balls, it's great signs for Zach. Forget England. I'm not bothered about England at this minute in time. Bothered about the about, about Zach Crowley and if Zach Crowley spends time in the middle gets himself used to batting for long periods of time when the business time comes around he couldn't have done anything else and if he does that he's got a great chance of going into the Ashes and scoring runs and if he does go into the Ashes and scores runs that gives England a brilliant chance of winning because it doesn't expose our our middle order against the moving ball can't underestimate how important Zach Crowley is when he's scoring runs and how good a player he is but he just hasn't been able to do it in international cricket for this last period of time. Sam Billings, of course, didn't go into the IPL auction because he wanted to uh, to play first-class cricket and compete for a place in the Ashes squad, but 31-11-4-1 so far this season. Let's finish this section with uh, Somerset against Lancashire. The, it was a draw, obviously, um, rain-affected, but a lot of talking points. Uh, Keaton Jennings, 189 uh, before... Um, he did his hamstring and uh, and had to retire. Uh, so he'll be out for at least a couple of weeks, you would think. Uh, Jack Leach as well, two for 145 and went to over five and over. I'm sure Ben Stokes will be, be telling him not to worry about that. But he did make 40. And then, of course, there was Jimmy. Just, I mean, well, like, what can you say about Jimmy that you haven't said already? Nothing. No, just it's just madness, honestly, yeah. I looked at it and I'm going, he's both 46 overs. He's 41-year-old ball and 46 overs in a first-class game. You know, leading into, a, leading into an international summer. 
But as a bowler, I think you're better off when you're bowling. We are the more you have rest time, I think the more chance you've got an injury coming back from long layoffs. Anderson Broad, they know the bodies. Roland Jones is coming back from a long-term injury. Been one of the best bowlers in the in the county circuit for the last year and a bit because he's constantly bowling. He stayed injury free. So Anderson, Jimmy Anderson knows that he needs to bowl overs to keep you know the muscles going and yeah everything well oiled. But I'm not sure he was thinking 46 overs against Somerset before you know six weeks before the Ashes was high up on the agenda. But you know, I was at 54th five foot in first class cricket. That's an amazing that an achievement, and I'm pleased for Keaton. I really am. I'm pleased for Keaton. You know, somebody I've I've seen from a, a very young age. You know, we're going to speak to Mark Stoneman. You know, somebody else I think a hell of a lot of coming through that Durham Academy. Um, and to see them scoring runs, it's always fantastic. Because you know, as an old as an old man now, you look at some of the young charges that you've had those all come through your hands as a as a senior player, and it's crazy when you look at them and you think, but they're getting old now because that just shows you how old I am. Well, to see them scoring runs, it's fantastic. So he must have put a lot into it because Keaton Jennings is one of the fittest blokes that I've seen play first-class cricket. Strong man, strong in the mind, strong in body, strong in fitness. So to to have a muscle injury and, and have to retire shows you how much he put into that innings. There was a very nice little media package um, of uh, of. Anderson setting up Sean Dixon. Um, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, Sean Dixon must be like he was playing the straight guy in a in a funny, in a two man comic routine. But but seriously, I mean, he he'll look back at that won't he? and he'll just think <laughs> he'll just nod and sort of think in a funny kind of way that it was a privilege to be done by Jimmy like that. Absolutely, and he's not the only one that's been done. That you could probably count about seven hundred people that's been done in a similar way over the course of it. 20-odd year career. In, when you, but it's like anything else. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. It's like Tracy Murray and the Deucer. You, you know it's coming. And warning with a with a flipper or the one that, that turns that little bit more. You can see it, but you've you've still got to play it. And that's that's the thing that so many batsmen have over the course of the years have gone, I knew it was coming. But unfortunately, I just wasn't good enough to hit it. Sean Dixon, unfortunately, <laughs> wasn't good enough to get anywhere near Jimmy Anderson on Dan, but Sean Dixon is at the bottom of a long list of players who have been completely bamboozled by the skill level of the greatest fast bowler in, I think, my lifetime, Jimmy Anderson. And what does Jimmy do now? His workloads are up. It's still six weeks to go, of course, till that Ireland test. Um, does he take the ne- next round off? Um, he was talking about playing four games, wasn't he, before the Ashes? Yeah, he was talking about playing four, so I would imagine he'll take the next round off and then come back and play two again. I think what he's, uh, by the looks of it, what they're doing is, and what he's doing is, he's seeing if he can play back-to-back. He's played two games back-to-back. He'll probably have this week off, possibly next week off, and go back-to-back again, because that, unfortunately for Jim, is what he's going to have to do. It's not going to make a headline, this, because it's it's stating the obvious. But if England want to win the Ashes, they need Jimmy Anderson, which is bizarre. Because, well, it sounds ridiculous, because he's 41. He's going to be 41 years old. But England don't stand a chance of winning the Ashes without the skill level of Anderson at one end and the experience of Anderson and not so much yeah, the whole package because England's bowling attack has only ever had really Jimmy Anderson at one end for a, a long period of time when it's ever been successful. So I think trying to get him through back-to-back games with a week off with five test matches in six weeks is something I think sensible from the, the England bowling camp to make sure that he can do what is being asked of him. He's going to be asked to bowl 46 overs in a test match. He's going to have to have a week off and come back and do it again. And I think that's what Jimmy's building his body for, for one last one last push at the old enemy. I can confirm, Harmy, having glanced at my fixture list, that uh, Jimmy Anderson will definitely have next week off. <laughs> like, that's where I'm playing. <laughs> oh, dear. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at round three of the county championship. Delighted to say, as promised, we're joined live by uh, Middlesex opener Mark Stoneman after a terrific turnaround. It's been a disappointing start to the season, but, um, well, was it an unexpected opportunity right at the end of the game? Were you expecting Notts to declare? And, and, and what did you think your chances were, Rocky? Well, I think um, given the way sort of cricket's moved on in the last... 12 to 18 months 
felt like they were going to have a crack and try and win the game. Obviously, knowing that our, our top order had struggled the first couple of games, they would have seen an opportunity there to try and make some early inroads. And from our point of view, with a, a win worth three times the draw this year, um, it was a, it was just silly not to take that opportunity on, you know. Um, we said we were going to have a crack and be really positive and, and see where we were after the sort of first 10 overs. And if it was set up nicely, then go all the way and, and try and get that win. So I think on balance, it was great for both sides to have that opportunity. So all credit to Nuts. And Rob, you've, you've, the medal sets have had a tough, especially top water, had a tough start to the season. Good to get some runs. You know, finally get moving and as, as you know, as an experienced batter that cricket can be like that. Um, what can you put your finger on the start? Was it just good balls, bad batting, or was it the top order got the balls that every batter gets throughout the season? You just got them all in the same week. Yeah, I think I think a bit of the latter. Yeah, the guys we came up against managed to be stacking plenty of balls in and around the right area, and uh, with just enough on it to to take the dismissals really. Uh, but so, but certainly not for lack of effort or, or work or anything like that. It's just sometimes the way the game can go. Um, but then obviously. It was sort of an ideal scenario for our guys yesterday with that run chase. Your thoughts of, of technique and what's the ball doing kind of don't matter as much. It's just a case, right, we've got a target, watch the ball and hit it and get those runs. So it, it worked out perfectly. I want to ask you about two players. One who's certainly not struggling for form is uh, Toby Rowland-Jones, who's averaging about 18 for his wicket in the last, uh, well, from the beginning of last summer. Uh, and also Ryan Higgins, um, Harmy and I are a big fan of his. We were surprised when he went to Gloucester. It must be good to have him back. Yeah, he's been brilliant. He's he's just sort of slid straight back in. Top, top cricketer, unbelievable competitor. Um, like I said, just goes about his business and, and, and gets the job done. And, and Toby's just, he's a well-oiled machine. Although he's, I think he's starting to feel it in his body a little bit more as, as the years go by. But yeah, he's just a fantastic operator, really, using the slope from both ends to great effect and just really giving the batsman nothing. In Rock, how's the, uh, you know, from a coaching point of view, Richard Johnson, experienced man as well, but not in the, the sort of lead role. How's Jono been because of, you know, it has been a, a little bit of a stop-start um, this season. What was his message at the at the, the sort of fourth innings? Is it a case of what you just said, just go out, play as freely as he possibly can? Yeah, there's very much a case of we're not going to get caught in the middle ground and um, sort of scratch around and see what happens. It's right if we're going to we're going to go for the chase, um, we will go right at it, put some pressure back on the nuts from ball one, and sort of say it through. If we're in the position, we're going to we're going to go all the way. You know, he's been brilliant. You can imagine what a dressing room like is like in a in a run chase like that, and you lose a few wickets and it starts getting a bit dark, and the umpires are coming together with a light beat us. Well, you know what I'm like. I have plenty to say. Um, <laughs> John was, John was just there in the background, cool as you like. It's like the the duck on the water. I don't know if he was stressing inside, but he gave nothing away. He was cool. He was brilliant for the dressing room. And um, yeah, it was, it was nice to get that win for him as much as anyone yesterday. You mentioned at the beginning there how the game has moved on. Um, I think that's a, a subtle reference to <laughs> to Ben Stokes and, and Brendan McCallum and Baz Ball. And, and has that filtered down? I mean, do you think that that is going to be a, a more positive approach that spreads through county cricket? I think the, the the ceiling's been raised so high that all sort of levels below you see you see what's possible and it just opens your mind to to what you might be able to do. You know, there's always been sort of last day chases and stuff like that where teams take it on, but very early on teams would shut up shop. Whereas nowadays it's like now we've we've got the skill set all the way through. You you train for those scenarios all through the winter. Um, it's, it's not so much white ball practice that you do now, red and white ball practice. It, it's just overall practice, preparing for, for all situations. And so, yeah, I think it's it's great for the game, really. And somebody we know very well, Rock, is is Ben Stokes. Now that man has just mentioned him. Um, what have you made of his unbelievable... I, I don't even know how to put it into words, what he's done for the England cricket team. But you've seen him from close quarters from a very, very young age. We've all known how positive as a person and a player he is. Were you surprised when he took over the captaincy and gone right? This is how we're going to do it. Not really, because he's always he's always pushed the boundaries, haven't he? In the way he's sort of explored his own game and and the way he's gone about things. I think even in his actions from a, a very young age, he was he was a leader of men. The way he would always be up front and center of anything that was going on, and being the man for for any occasion, really. And I think he's managed to 
sort of really galvanize everyone behind him. I think initially watching myself, I was like, he's almost doing himself a disservice because of the quality of player that he is. But I guess by him pushing it so far, it allowed everyone who was in and around him to see how safe it was to to approach it in that manner. And it's, it's got such a raise out of all the other players. It's tremendous leadership, really. Mark, I'm never afraid to run the risk of asking a silly question. So just tell me if it is a silly question. But um, there was a statement um, from the Middlesex CEO um, a couple of weeks ago talking about the financial problems that uh, Middlesex have had. And he put it down to the fact that they only count you without the home ground, even though you play at the home of cricket. And I wondered, does it sometimes feel like, I mean, like a senior pro like yourself in another county would have his own locker and he'd have his things in there. And do you have to empty the locker? Does it sometimes feel like you are borrowing somebody else's facility? Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, because the nature of um, the situation there when there's there's tours and stuff going on um, throughout the week when we're not playing, it is a case of moving your, your kid out of the dressing room and stuff like that. So it can, it can feel a little bit nomadic at times, but... Certainly when we're, we're bunkered down in our spots and your name tags on the wall there on game day, it's very much very much our home ground. And yeah, and it's fantastic. You can't beat the lunches, so it, it always feels like home. <laughs> the one thing you can't beat, man, is, is the lunch at Lord's. Yeah. And it's something that I'm sure um, a lot of overseas and obviously home players you know, do flock to the home of cricket, not for the museum or for the wicket, but it's more for the lunch. But what about... Yeah, for the foreseeable future, Rob, you've got still got aspirations to play for England. If there's a spot comes open, you've played in the Ashes before. If they need a steady hand, runs under the belt, is that something that you're still driving yourself in the nets and trying to improve? I mean, I'd be I'd be lying if I if I said the dream's gone. It's it's always going to be there as long as I've got a bat in my hand. I reckon when you sort of the the wickets start getting cut and you you hear the rumours of squad announcements and who's playing where and you know the Aussies are coming. It's, it's the it's the ultimate in it. Playing playing for your country in Test cricket. It's um there's there's nothing like it. Obviously, it didn't go how I would have liked first time around. And I imagine, no doubt, I'll be way down the pecking order. But you never say never. But yeah, it's an exciting summer coming up. That's for sure. And finally, a word about the squad and the uh, the rest of the season. I mean, a, a victory changes <laughs> changes a lot of things, doesn't it? Especially after two. Um, poor games to start off with but are you confident in the squad and that you can fight your way up the table yeah absolutely I mean we've we lost the first two games but we were right in them we just really surrendered the initiative and, and some good good cricket from the opposition took it away from us rather quickly that's the nature of Division 1 cricket you know so I think all the, all the parts are in, in place there to, to play some decent cricket and get a good result it's just nice to have that um, sort of validation of the win on the board now in the manner that we did all credit knots like I said They've won the first day, but then we pulled it back really nicely, even in that third innings. Um, the reason the lead was only 240 was because of how well we did on that third afternoon and we bowled tightly um, and really kept the pressure on them, you know. So we were going into day four thinking we had an opportunity to even bowl them out and and win the game that way. So, um, yeah, I think the the confidence is high now from that. We don't want to rest on that, though. We You know, we've got to lift. We've got to build on those those levels of performance and hopefully get a chance to do that against Kent this week. Very best of luck and thank you very much for your time. Hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime during the summer. Thanks for your time. Cheers, thank you very much. Middletex opening batter Mark Stoneman. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two-time county championship winner Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll turn our attention to Division 2 and uh, we'll be joined by Gloucestershire and Australian opener Marcus Harris after he was named in their squad for the first two Ashes tests. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more 
and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mathlop, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to say now we're joined uh, by Marcus Harris, as promised at the top of the show, to talk about uh, Gloucestershire against uh, Worcestershire and many other things. Marcus, uh, I, we've got lots of questions for you about you and about the Ashes, but um, if you'll, I'm sure you will forgive us if we ask you about somebody else um, first up. Because it was an extraordinary game of cricket for Tom Price. Scored 109, coming in at 47 uh, for the, or 45 for seven, and then took a hat trick. You ever seen anything like it? No, I haven't. And it all happened in the same day, so that was probably the more amazing thing. I think if he had ended up getting five for on that first day, I think we're going to have to chair him off, not just let him clap him off. So, um, <laughs> I uh, this is my second season at Gloucester, um, and he was one of the guys that really stood out last year, just with the attributes that he's got to the game. But um, to see him be able to come out and get 100 off, I think it might have been 90 balls the other day, was amazing. And then I, he bowled really well in the first game, probably without as much luck as what he should have had. Um, and then he just continued on um, on Thursday. Yeah, but to get 100 and a hat trick and four, I think six wickets for the game as well was something pretty special. I, was, I couldn't believe uh, what we were watching just unfold on social media and from the rest of the the stream and you know we do another show and one of the one of the other guys has, has sort of tipped him as a player watch it was it was he was the player watch so it was a lot of messages flying around as this whole thing was was unfolding but yeah talk about yourself Mark because you you say it's a second year at Gloucester um if you were part of the furniture now down in Bristol how are you settled in down there yeah Bristol's great um I, I really enjoyed last year I was down here um my first season in county cricket, I played at Leicester during one of the COVID years, so it was a bit hard to have partners and stuff come over. But last year, we really enjoyed being down in Bristol. It's a great city. We live, um, I'm in Clifton, so it's a nice part of Bristol, which has been, just reminds me a lot of home. So um, I've enjoyed being down here. Unfortunately, the weather hasn't been great, but not much I can do about that. But yeah, Bristol's a good place and Boston, great bunch of blokes, obviously a pretty young group, but yeah, it's, just, it's a not good, fun environment to be in. And uh, your own form, you started off the season with a real bang despite the cold, 59 and 148. You've got 234 runs at, at 58 and a half. So um, you'll be uh, catching the attention of George Bailey, no doubt. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting start to the season just with the rain and that. Like, it doesn't really... We're three games in, but we've only played two. We unfortunately had that one washed out against um, Yorkshire. So uh, I think it's just... It's going to be one of those seasons where if you get a game on a good wicket and it's fill your boots time you got to fill your boots because I reckon with the weather there's going to be a few games where the wickets aren't great and you might cock a good ball here and there but yeah it was fortunate to get a few away in that first game you're yeah, coming over to to play county cricket you know a bit older the, the the lure of county cricket before the IPL was was huge for overseas cricketers but we still see the likes of Marnus Labashin you know top players in the world come over I don't know forget the ashes yeah or anything like that but County cricket is a huge lure for for a lot of overseas cricketers. What is it about it in your your initial period? Do you feel? I mean, I enjoy coming and playing for twelve months. I know, like growing up as a young bloke, sort of like through the early two thousands, that all my heroes that played for Australia all went and played county cricket and did well in county cricket. So that was something that I've, I'd always wanted to do. And it's actually it's quite difficult to get your foot in the door in the county cricket system because there's only limited spots, obviously. So. I think the good thing about it is that Australia and England, as much as there's a rivalry in that, that we actually, everyone gets along really well. And so coming to England is like playing with people that are very similar from home, but the conditions are different. It's a different challenge. 
Um, the juke ball is a different challenge to the kookaburra and the wickets are different. So it's a great experience and it's great exposure to play against and also get to play against some of the other overseas players that the other counties have. You don't experience that in Australia. We only play against each other. So it's, I think it's just the exposure, being able to be over in England, which is great, being able to, you know, you can, you're close to everywhere, whereas in Australia we're miles from everywhere, so we can't really go anywhere. So it's just a, it's a great experience. It's a good lifestyle over here. And I've enjoyed the challenge of, of the cricket because it's so different to what we're used to. Marcus, you'd be aware of the media narrative, of course, that uh, David Warner is sort of on borrowed time and that you, with a central contract and in the squad, are sort of standing by <laughs> to take his spot at the top of the order. Um, if he if he doesn't score runs in the World Test Championship final or the first, uh, the first Ashes Test, is that just a media narrative? Is that just us having fun and making a mountain out of a molehill? I think Davey's a bit of a lightning rod for um, for speculation <laughs> and um, media talk. I think my opinion on it is that Davey's probably arguably been the best Australian opening batsman ever. There's an argument for some other blokes, but in all formats and the way that he's changed the game, it's been amazing. So I think my opinion is that he should be able to have, you know, the finish to his career whatever way he wants it, whether that's for another six months or it's, you know, one more test. I don't know. It's up to It, it should be up to him, so... Time will tell with all that stuff. I think now, I know coming into the Ashes last time that I hadn't really played England too much. So I was a bit unsure about what to expect. But like I said to George Bailey on the phone the other day, I said, whenever my opportunity comes up, I'll be ready to go because I've played a fair chunk of cricket over here now. And I know what to expect. And whether that's in the first test or it's not till maybe in the home summer, so be it. But I'll just, I think Davies earned the right to go out on his own terms. Yeah, we love Davey Warner. Love having a go at Davey Warner. The pantomime villain. <laughs> Uh, I'm a massive fan. I, I David Warner is a, I think he came over as an 18, 19 year old Durham before he played. I think he played before he played for Australia in 2020 cricket. I've got a lot of time for him. He's great character. And I think this Ashes needs him. I really do. And that's not anybody else getting a, getting a game or not. I think characters in, in Ashes series are huge, even bad ones. Cause let's be fair. He's a bad character when it comes to an English <laughs> series, but how important is that? You know, it's probably the most eagerly awaited Ashes series since 2005. How important is it that you've had a bit of experience here in English conditions? You've got Warner and Kawaja in their 30s who have played quite a bit of cricket over here. You mentioned before, facing a Duke's ball is not the easiest thing to do as an opening batsman. How important is it you use your experience well if you feel as though, from an Australia's point of view, to sort of have a good foothold in the Ashes series right from the start? Yeah, I know... Um... I remember in 2019, I'd sort of just, the season before at home, I'd just broken into the test side, but never didn't quite lock my spot down. And then before the Ashes series over here, I probably, I had the opportunity, I, well, I had the offer to come and play some county cricket, but I didn't take it up. And I think in hindsight, once I got to the end of that series in 2019, I was like, oh, I actually really wish I had to play some county cricket just to have some experience under my belt. So when I had the, I had an offer from Leicester in 2021, and I remember sitting with my partner and saying to her, like I said, I just want to like, if I can get my foot in the door over in England and experience a first-class cricket over there, that I can give myself the best opportunity if things go my way and selection comes up and I get picked in that Ashes squad for this year, that I just want to have some cricket under my belt to give myself the best chance to succeed. So I think I've done that. I've, like you said, England's a, it's a tough place to open the batting. Like You're going to have a game or a game or two where you've got ball's got a name on it. But also I've found that it's a great place to bat as well. If you can get yourself in, the grounds are small. The squares go the whole way along the ground so you can score really quickly. The wickets probably aren't quite as like quick and bouncy as at home, so you can probably dominate a little bit more if you can get on top. So I just, I've just i enjoyed playing over here. And like I said, it's about giving myself the best opportunity to succeed. Marcus, one from left field for me. Are you quite eccentric in the middle? You seem to, you seem to chat a lot, or are you just practicing for your new career as a commentator? Uh, I like, uh, I think I like to not take myself too seriously. I like to joke around a little bit and, you know, some guys, (laughs) some people can be like deers in headlights when that comes to playing cricket and especially in test cricket. But, um, I like to keep it pretty friendly and, you know, have a joke here and there, um, wind some people up (laughs) because like life's hard enough as it is, let alone, you know, playing test cricket. And I think that's one thing I've learned a little bit as I got older is just trying to enjoy it rather than putting so much pressure on myself all the time. And the in the obviously the ashes that are coming up mentioned is probably the most eagerly awaited since two thousand and five. How much are you looking forward to that? The pressure of 
five test matches in six weeks. Because like you said, if you get one with your name on it early on, it could be a long six weeks. If you can dominate and you can get on top, say if you can put wood on a couple of the bowlers, then all of a sudden you you feel as though feel invincible and you can really, really dominate the series from the top of the order. Yeah, well we've got we've got six tests in like that test championship's only the week before the first Ashes test. So we got six weeks pretty of test cricket back to back. So it'll be a good challenge, I think. I don't know anything about the England squad, but just looking from the outside in, I think both squads are pretty similar where it's a pretty calm environment where the captains and the coaches just give license and freedom to the players to go out and, you know, trust their ability and go about their business, not put too much pressure on them. I think I'm fortunate that the coach of the Australian crew team now, Andrew McDonald's been my coach at, was my coach at Victoria. So I know him really well and Paddy's really calm. So you're always backed and by the looks of it, Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum are doing the same thing with the English boys. So it's going to be a great series to watch. It'll be great to watch and great to see how everyone goes about it. I know as much as um, Aussies don't like giving Poms credit, it has been good to watch the way that those guys have been playing. How much of a technique change do you have to make facing the Jukes ball rather than the Kookaburra? Uh, I probably went through a bit of a technical change um, after the last Ashes. I'd sort of been a pretty like sort of front on sort of player, which is sort of it's a bit easier to do when the ball's not moving as much. But I think in England when the ball moves a bit more off the wicket and in the air, um, your technique has to be a bit tighter. So I think it's trying to make, keep the game simple and give yourself the best chance to succeed in England with tactics. Obviously, the English boys are going to bowl around the wicket a lot, a lot to us left-handers. So having something to combat that, I think everyone's got their own sort of way to play, but. The fundamentals are still probably the same. I think you watch Steve Smith, but he's a bit unorthodox, but he still sort of plays the ball late, plays it under his eyes. Bit the same with Marnus, and you watch like Woozy and guys like that. I just think in England, it's, I know the hard thing is not to, if you have a just, it's like sort of backing your technique and not jumping at shadows. And if you have a bad out, is not trying to completely change your technique. If it's sort of like not chasing your outs is probably the main thing over here and committing to what you do well, I think. You saw with guys like Alistair Cook and that throughout his career, he found a way to succeed and maybe wasn't the most technically perfect player, but he found a way. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest challenge over here. If I said Marcus Harris, what, end of end of July, first well, the 1st of August, what would be the perfect seven weeks for you and for Australia? I know you're going to see Australia win, but what would it be for you? Oh, I think it would be to... Um, to be part of a successful touring squad, um, I know last time we came, it was a um, we retained the Ashes, which was really good, but wasn't quite that you know step to win it. And I think just to contribute, I'd be nice to contribute throughout the series in one way or another um, to a couple of wins in a Test match. As I've got older, I've sort of gone away from saying, "Oh, I've got to make a couple hundreds or I've got to make X amount of runs." I think if you can be an impact player in in some way, shape, or form, it might only be getting forty or fifty, but in a Test match on a tough wicket. That could be a match-winning sort of inning. So hopefully I can do that. I think, like I've spoken about, being able to come and play county cricket and you know have an impact for the counties that I've played for, I think that should hold me in good stead throughout the series. But like you guys have spoken about, it's going to be exciting and definitely the build-up's been a bit bigger than what I've experienced before. So got a bit of a buzz about it, which is going to be exciting to hopefully have an impact in or be a part of at least. Final one for me, if I may. Um... It, Australian first-class teams, um, the, the Shield, notoriously difficult to get into. And, you know, we, we're we accustomed to seeing players late into their 20s before, you know, before they establish themselves. But you, I think you still hold the record for being the youngest to score a first-class 150 um, when you were 19 or 20. 18. Um, 18, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, right, my point is that you've been playing first-class cricket for over a dozen years now. But does does this Ashes campaign feel like it could be a, a, a pinnacle? Obviously, if you win it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I probably, I was fortunate in the fact that when I first got picked to play for Australia, there was the situation with the ball tampering stuff and um, we all know what happened there. But the two spots that became available were in a position that I was playing in. But I, I'd only, I, I think I'd made eight or nine hundred by the time I got picked. So I was still pretty raw in um, my, I think my first class cricket career and I think since then I've been out of, I think I've nearly played, a, I've nearly 145 games or something like that. So I've got a lot of cricket under my belt and I've sort of taken solace in the fact that you saw guys like, you know, Mike Huffey didn't start playing test cricket till he was 30. 
Uh, Bucky Rogers didn't play till he's like 33, 34. So I think with those previous experiences that I've had under my belt, and by no means have I had a bloody, I've had a tough test career. Like it's been really tough. I've never felt like comfortable in my own boots, but I think that's the only going to help me going forward with, you know, knowing how hard it is and I'm appreciating that it's a challenge. But I think the amount of cricket I've been able to play, being exposed to different conditions, it only helped me and it makes me stronger as a person. So I hope that that holds me in good stead going forward. But yeah, like I said, if I get an opportunity, hopefully I can take it with both hands. That's Marcus Harris. Good man, Gloucestershire and Australian opener. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Durham Hall of Famer, Steve Harmison. Right, continuing to uh, look at round three of the county championship. And uh, well, tell you what, Durham, unexpectedly, I think, could have won that game despite all the rain against Glamorgan on the last day. They're playing some cracking cricket. They haven't got the results yet to show for it, but um, they're scoring at, uh, at five and over at least, and uh, they just look a really good all-round, well-balanced team. They look like a Division One team, to be honest. Ryan Campbell's uh, having a terrific start as coach, as I said, not getting any results, but um, you're enjoying watching them. I really am enjoying watching them. They've got a bit of everything. They've got, you know, we talked about Alex Lee's the top of the order. He's tried to reinvent himself as a he wants to play test cricket and he sees the only way of doing that is uh, is by scoring runs and scoring runs quickly and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about Jones I think Michael Jones is a, is a, a fantastic opening batsman who has got well we need him in the division one to see the next step and then the next step again is is obviously international cricket and he's done well for Scotland in the in tournament so they've got the nucleus of a very very good fan. and when I look at the bowling unit, the likes of Cast or Potts, because that's what's happened in the last couple of weeks. We've got somebody who can roll that a little bit quicker. Ben Rain will always be challenging, especially at Durham in the conditions. And Paul Coglin, the, the all-rounder who went missing for a couple of years because of his, his back injury and went to knots, didn't settle, come back. And he's now starting to put performances together back in the last season and then now this season. With all that in the mix, We've got some experienced characters in the middle order in, in Borthwick and Beddingham, an overseas player and a coach now who wants to play front foot cricket. I can only see Durham, unless the weather beats them again and again and again, being at the top end of the Division 2. I think and they hadn't getting rain after tea, they would have won that game in, in Wales. And I think a couple of things have gone against them, but somebody's going to get a hiding soon and um, the way that Durham are going if they get their full strength side out and you factor in I don't think Ben Stokes is going to come back and play any first class cricket before the test series Mark Wood will come back and play and possibly play because he comes back um, because they're on the verge of Sarah's about to give but well I seen that a couple of weeks ago and I, I still don't know how this how, how baby number two Wood's still in there because you know, Sarah's she's massive now, so I'd imagine Mark will be close to coming home from the IPL. And once he once he comes home, he you, you factor that he might have to play a first class match before Test match season starts in uh, the Test match summer starts. So things are positive for Durham, and it's great to see because we have had some adverse weather over the course of this cricket season and the last four or five years for the club. But it seems as though you know both off the field and on the field going in the right direction, which is great to see. Manus Labashain, 17 and 5. He's played a lot for Glamorgan, so um, uh, I don't think that uh, he deserves our opprobrium uh, or um, delight that uh, he's failed, but he doesn't do very well early season against the Duke's ball anyway. Let's move on to Sussex against Yorkshire. As far as Yorkshire are concerned, Harmy, it never rains, but it pours, literally, <laughs> of all the problems off the field. And then they need 63 to win on the last day, and it's washed out. Yeah, I felt for Gibbo. I had a couple of message exchanges with, with Otis over the, over the weekend. Um, ben Cole, he's a massive Newcastle fan. I'm trying to get him tickets for the game at Southampton. Um, and the way he bowls, um, he's, I think he's been given the weekend off because his coach is thankfully that. He's, uh, he's taking wickets. I thought he bowled beautifully. Some of the wickets that we've seen, but the setup from Ben Code to, to get, you know, batsmen in a position to nick them. We also took some good catches as well um, in that. And again, Goffey, you know, trying to keep the members at Yorkshire at bear, trying to get Yorkshire on the winning track and into the first division. 
They've obviously, like Durham, they've been beaten by the weather. And I think if the teams that finish above Yorkshire and Durham this year will be the ones that go up. I fully expect Durham and Yorkshire to be at the top end of Division 2 and largely down to the fact they've got they've got wickets in each team they've got wickets in them. Nice to see Matt Fisher back playing. And you know, he bowled look what looking at him, he looked he's so he he sort of still had a yard left in him. So and they've also got, you know, the prospect of potentially the next time to play, because I think they've got next week off. Um, they let Johnny Bairstow back in their side. So all things are going well for Yorkshire. Unfortunately the weather didn't go their way. They would have won the game. But yeah, you know, until you you know, all the draws is is no good, you've got to win. So um, you can only control, unfortunately, the weather you can't. And it was nice to see Yorkshire on the front foot again. Now then, Ali Orr is uh, uh, one of the many talented youngsters at Sussex. He was run out at the non-striker's end for the third consecutive innings. And it was widely uh, claimed to be uh, a streak of extraordinary bad luck. And uh, then the batting coach at Sussex, Grant Flower, was quoted after the game saying, it's not bad luck, it's sloppy. He's a professional cricketer and he should have got his bat back in the ground. <laughs> I'd known Grant Flower for, for 30 odd years and he's always called a spade a spade and it's got him into trouble. But um, I wasn't expecting that. But it, it made me think about it. I mean, I, I just thought, yeah, that's so unlucky. Three times in a row. But not the way Grant Flower saw it. No, not the way Grant Flower saw it. So, yeah, I seen the, I seen the first one of the season and I thought that was unlucky. I really thought that was unlucky because it wasn't like a hit back straight. It, it was more to the it more just hit the ball and it ricocheted onto the stumps. And by that way, if you're backing up at the non-striker's end and the ball's hit straight back towards the stumps, your first initial thoughts is, can I get back? This one was hitting a little bit sort of wider. So from an, a natural eye point of view, or an instinctive point of view, you're not thinking run out here. So the first one I thought was quite unlucky. I haven't seen this one, but it's like, you make a mistake, I'll kick you backside. If you make it again, I'm disappointed. If you make it the third time, I've washed my hands with you. And unfortunately, I think Grant Fowler has done that with Ali Orr. Ali Orr is a fantastic young cricketer. I think, for me, I think he is one of the... He is probably the best, I think, of that younger brigade, like Sir Hearns, Clark. I think Ali Orr's, he is the best of the lot. I really do. I've got. I, I see them close quarters at the end of last season when I'm, I was with Durham at Sus, against Sussex. Watched him closely in the winter, and you see him on the streams the way he bats. He's got, he's got this cocky arrogance about him that I like, which I think will stand him in good stead if he went that little bit further. I think he's, I think he's a talented player, but you can't get your bat in the crease. You're just extending the the chances of your dismissals being a lot higher than than what they should be. So, yeah. Fully back the coach, third time in a, what, five, six innings that you've been run out. I think sometimes you have to look in the mirror and go, come on, it's your fault. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, Mickey Arthur has been formally announced as Pakistan's director, director of cricket. I mean, he is he is so fully committed to Derbyshire. And now he's director of cricket uh, with Pakistan as well. He, I've also known Mickey for a long time. He has bitten off more than he has ever attempted to chew in the past um, in his career. Uh, Ramiz Raja, who, of course, was deposed as uh, the PCB president uh, a couple of months ago, described the move as mad as a clown in a country village. Um, <laughs> and, in fact, Mickey, I mean, he's just had a, a week off. Derbyshire didn't play. Um, and he's been over to Pakistan. I desperately want him to be successful, and, and I wish him all the best. But I cannot see it working. Just not sure what you can do in this instance in a way which you can be positive at both ends. Mickey Arthur is one of the nicest men I've ever met in cricket. He's one of the most hardworking men I've ever met in cricket. And I think he just likes to say yes to people. Whenever we ring him, any chance you're coming on, Mick, yeah, no problem. I'm getting COVID tested in a Sri Lankan airport. Well, come on, give me five minutes. <laughs> just an amazing man. He really is. And... He's had great success with Pakistan. I remember being in the Grange Hotel, having a beer with him the, the, when they won the Champions Trophy at, at the Oval when they beat India, along with Grant Flower, who we've just been talking about. He was in there as well, Steve Ritson, um, the, the coaching team at the time. And he's just a lovely man, but as he's has the sentiment overruled and his heart overruled his head that he's got a big job on at Yorkshire, a big big job on at Derbyshire, and 
you know, manners more than anything else, the amount of cricket you've covered, what Pakistan cricket's like, what the West Indies cricket's like, it is complete shambolic sometimes. And can you have a positive influence on it from 3,000, 4,000 miles away? I hope so for Mickey's sake, and I hope we can juggle enough plates to get life balance right between the two quarters. It's something might have to give. One of the one of the boards might have to end up making a decision whether it's a Derbyshire board or the Pakistan board, um, and help him out with that decision. But you know, we all want him to do well because he's a great friend of ours. But oh, you can have some sleepless sleepless nights between now and whichever decision is or whichever one is you know kicked into touch because I can only see one being successful and the other one being very difficult or very hard to do. Going to be so hard to give it a hundred percent to both. Um, Okay, just very quickly, um, Ben Stokes has now missed five consecutive games for the Chennai Super Kings. We're told that it was a toe injury and then a heel injury and not his knee. But um, those comments haven't been very convincing. No, but my comments might not be convincing either. My comments are happy days. I'm not bothered. I really don't care if Ben Stokes has missed five games in a row for Chennai Super Kings. Sorry, Chennai Super Kings fans. I'm not bothered. As long as my captain's fit from the first week in June, I don't care how much Ben, ben Stokes plays cricket with now and then. He is so vitally important to the England cricket team. I am happy that he's not playing. Joffre, well, Joffre Arch is different. I think Joffre needs to bowl. And it's nice to see Joffre plays in the last round of games, which is great. But if Ben Stokes doesn't play again between now and Ireland's test match in the first week of June, I would not lose any sleep whatsoever. I really wouldn't. If he comes back and he's injured, then that's a different story altogether. But if Ben Stokes is not playing now and he's fit because he's not playing now, I am over the moon. And I say that as an Englishman, a proud Englishman who wants England to win the Ashes. If he gets injured, we don't win. I've said that millions of times to you, Manners. But at this minute in time, I really don't care if he's not playing for Chennai Super Kings. And I say that with every due respect to the IPL and Chennai Super Kings. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talkboard 2 with me, Neil Mathup, and former England fast bowler Steve Harbison. And if you missed any of the show or you want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free Talkboard app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to look back at round four of the County Championship. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective here on Talkboard 2. 